Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We're off and running mm-hmm. for season 11 mm-hmm. or John Pertwee season 5 whenever the Blu-ray comes out <laughs> oh, of Doctor Who. That's right. We were watching this on a creaky old digital video disc. I know. This feels so... We haven't had to deal with a DVD since we last watched... I don't remember when. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. Yeah, look at this 4x3 uh, menu screen. <laughs> oh, the uh, the promo for it was for Series 3, I think. So 2007, 2008 is probably when this DVD came out. Yeah. Yeah. One day we'll watch this again on Blu-ray. I'll, I'll watch it on Blu-ray. <laughs> well, so we've, we've, we've ascertained our initial thoughts on the Time Warrior Part 1, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's actually, I am enjoying it more than I expected to. I think it's one of those things where maybe maybe I've only seen it the once before. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But like the first time you see something and you don't know what to expect right. when something bugs me, it bugs me a lot all the way through. But then once I sort of know what to expect, mm. it's sort of like it, it dulls the annoyance and stuff because it's like, okay, this is going to bother me. I can just sort of, you know, focus on the rest of it and notice other things whereas before I could not pay any attention to anything except for Iron Ground and how annoying he was to me now I you know can look at literally anything else in this story this uh, dear listener is not just uh, your opinion towards Doctor Who this is many many things I, I look forward to watching uh, the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy again because I know that you were sort of like fixated on on one thing that you didn't like or something and therefore that affected your viewing of that so yeah I mean I've watched it a few times and every time it gets less annoying True. but so yeah maybe maybe I do need to rewatch the time warrior again when it comes out on blu-ray and eventually maybe I will like the story more. Or not. Maybe not. I like it. Mm-hmm. I do a lot. Mm-hmm. It's got castles in it. Mm-hmm. Although, weirdly, maybe because I like Robin of Sherwood so much, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which is set in the Middle Ages, of course, in the 1980s, and it films on location all around castles. That Whenever Doctor Who does stuff in the Middle Ages, it just feels like a little bit like... You know, it's not quite. Obviously, it's not. It's not going to be a pure historical. It's going to be a weird space story set around a castle if they're going to be there. So I always like sort of go, mm, okay, this is all right, I guess. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and I, I read and watch and enjoy enough high fantasy stuff that you know I like castles and things too. Mm-hmm. But when it's in Doctor Who, if it's supposed to be historically, it I don't know, it it, it does feel a little bit different. And I, I sometimes find myself judging it like, you know, you've got random dudes sleeping on the floor behind you. Like, it's just it's very weird. That was the Middle Ages, I guess. Or no, I don't know. Like, I feel a lot of the a lot of the things that we think we know about the Middle Ages when you talk to somebody who's actually an expert on that period of time is like, no, that's not actually how it worked. No, it's interesting. I mean, this goes for anything, but especially Doctor Who, you know, and in, in how they deal with sometimes historical past. Like, it's often a romanticized ideal, mm-hmm. be it the talents of Wang Chiang in Victorian England or this in the Middle Ages or like even Robot of Sherwood, you know. I mean, it, it behooves the writers and creators of a TV show to play into what people believe about a time. So I'm not, I'm not faulting Doctor Who for any potential you know, inaccuracies or whatever. I mean, inaccuracies. <laughs> you mean there wasn't a Suntaran <laughs> back in the uh, in the Middle Ages? No. That we know of. Mm, that's that's true. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, I mean, it's a, I'm. It's interesting seeing the Doctor 
um, interacting with somebody else who we know is going to become his yeah. companion. It's it's a little weird though because he's. I'm not sure I dig his vibe right off the bat. Um, he's he's toying with Sarah Jane in a way that's just I don't know. It seems a little weird and creepy, but I suppose you know he he knows that she is sneaking around mm-hmm. and hiding something. So he's you know. He got something over her. I don't know. It's a little, it's just a little weird. Like he's just being a little like, like his line about, yeah, it's, it'll be good. We can have somebody here around to, to make the coffee. It was just like, why are you, why are you playing into the sexist stereotypes when you don't really need to? Yeah. It's like, he's just trying to find a way to like put her off her guard, so mm-hmm. to speak, to find out who she really is. Cause you know, it is a little bit suspicious how she just like swiped her aunt's visiting pass essentially. And that's why she's there, you know? That's true. That's true, I suppose. And it is literally his job to figure out what the heck is happening. But, I mean, it's clear he doesn't actually suspect her, which is correct of him to not suspect her because she's she's not a threat. Yeah. There's a moment, like, you know, um, there's an old phrase or saying, I can't remember what it really is, but, you know, you can't, you know, um, you can't insults our you know the, our city we only we can that sort of thing you know and i like when when rubish sort of calls the brigadier a military idiot and he goes you know i know what you feel but he means well you know he's like he leaps in to defend the brigadier in his absence which i thought was kind of sweet but it is it is that's nice and it, yeah. it you know it's the, the brigadier is just like yes we're putting them all together we're locking them up because yeah. people are disappearing uh, that that is a very sort of typically brigadierish sort of response to a situation mm-hmm. you know Good. Good luck with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I I spotted several actors of note in this episode <laughs> that I would like to tell you about. Please now. do go for it. Uh, the person who played Professor Rubish mm-hmm. played the father of a sandbagger who was killed in action, and Willie Kane had to go visit him uh, in the next episode. That that is that. No wonder he looks so familiar. Yeah. Okay, got yeah. it. Yep. That, so that that amused me. Uh, Alan Rowe is in this. He plays what King Edward or Edward or something like that. And he'll he was in the Moon Base, and he'll be in other episodes to come as well. Mm-hmm. David Dacre plays uh, Iron Gron. Also appears later on in one of my favorite stories, Nightmare of Eden. Also directed by Alan Bromley, which oh. I is amusing to me. Uh, apparently June Brown, who was legendary or would go on to be legendary in EastEnders, plays um, Edward's wife. I don't remember her name. Well, aka the only other woman in this. Oh, no, apart from the, the servant lady. But um, uh, And then, of course, uh, Elizabeth Slayton. She plays Sarah Jane Smith. You don't say. I know. It, it, it's, it, does, it, it reminds me of like when Jenna Louise Coleman shows up in Doctor Who as Matt Smith's companion. And it feels like I always associate her with Peter Capaldi so it's weird in a way to see that oh right they came along before the doctor who they're usually you know yep. known to be with you know yep. you didn't even mention Jeremy Bullock I forgot Jeremy Bullock <laughs> who was Boba Fett or will be Boba Fett Boba Fett where and speaking of Rob- Robin of Sherwood he's Edward of Wickham in Robin of Sherwood in uh, uh, in the mid 80s yeah that's right yeah mm-hmm. so yeah, there's actors all over the place. And I want to point out Alan Bromley, the director, who uh, is notable in history for Doctor Who history. I think this is my first chance to talk about Alan Bromley, so I'm very, <laughs> very happy and excited. Uh, he uh, was also directed Nightmare of Eden later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a nightmare, literal nightmare. 
Um, this was or Nightmare of Eden? Nightmare was? of Eden was was a nightmare. It did not go well at all. Tom Baker and he were were yelling at each other, and uh, it was like basically he was kind of fired uh, after the dinner break on the last production block, mm-hmm. and and left. And so that was his end in Doctor Who. But what I found interesting is that his beginning didn't even really wasn't involved directly involved with Doctor Who. Um, there was a show called Paul Temple. Okay. 1970. It was on the BBC. It was like a globetrotting show. I don't know. I think it was an action show or something like that. It was a big budget show and um, it was going badly. And so they, the BBC plucked Derek Sherwin, current Doctor Who producer, mm-hmm. off of it to go produce Paul Temple to try and rescue that. Okay. Peter Bryant went along with him. Mm-hmm. Who comes in? Barry Letts, who changes so much about Doctor Who by being put on there. Who was the producer of Paul Temple that messed up in the first place to have that switch happen? It was Alan Bromley. So (laughs) he is indirectly responsible for one of the biggest uh, production decisions in Doctor Who history. And now he finally gets to direct a Doctor Who of his own. And then has the main villain character just go... Capital O, capital yes. T, capital T. Perfect marriage between Robert Holmes's uh, scripting and perfect delivery of um, of florid and uh, wonderfully operatic dialogue. Perfect. <laughs> capital Y, capital M, capital M, capital V. Here, well, it's very fairy. That's what that yeah, means, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I like them. I like I know. I, and that is, you know, quite often we are very much on the same page yep. about Doctor Who. So it I is know. kind of interesting when we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think many of the times when we're not are going to be things that I saw and made like formed an opinion about yep. when I was much younger and much different. And uh, and this is definitely one of those because it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, although I am, like I said, I'm enjoying it more now. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked that Sarah Jane just like you know, swiped her aunt's invitation, basically, yep. uh, and showed up and snuck in. However, mm-hmm. I have a problem with the directing. Because, okay. Yes. Go on. Uh, in in couple parts. Uh, but the specifically, so you have the doctor and the brig- so the brigadier comes in, and Sarah hides immediately, yeah. wisely. Uh, and so she's hidden in her little cubicle. And then we have the brig and do- the doctor talking. He's doctor's packing up his little case because he's gonna go and chase him down. Um, we get some some close ups or something. They're right there. They're like maybe two, three feet away from the path that Sarah Jane needs to walk through in order to get from her little cubicle to the TARDIS. And if we had just seen her sneaking into the TARDIS, I could have bought it. But no, it cuts to a close-up of her saying, Dr. Rubish, are you in there? She says words out loud. She's like three feet away from them Mm -hmm. and nobody notices her. It's very bad. It's bad. It's not good. Alan Bromley, everyone. Yeah, (laughs) and you can tell that that is clearly shot at a different time yep. than the rest of the scene is happening. Yep. Either it was like an afterthought or it's like, oh no, we have to mm-hmm. put something to have her wander in there and they have to like shoot that after the fact. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does seem out of place, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, it's also a little bit weird, even just from a writing standpoint, mm-hmm. that, I mean, we don't get to see her experience the inside of the TARDIS for the first time, nope. which is, that is a bummer 
Um, so I don't know if that's writing or directing, but either way, thumbs down on that. Um, and then uh-huh. when she sneaks back out after the doctor, yes, she is like, wow, it's just a phone box. Okay. She's in the middle of a forest. Yeah. We get no reaction. Mm-hmm. To, oh, I just need to find a telephone. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a little bit annoyed by this story, not just from the, the over-the-top acting and the purplest, floridist, prosiest dialogue. <laughs> I mean, I, yes, Robert Holmes is very good at writing that. Uh, I just, that this, this is not my uh, cup of tea in terms of mm. sipping it. It is interesting, isn't it? We make a much bigger thing of it nowadays in the modern series when it comes to the being bigger on the inside and like it can travel in time and space. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, but she stows away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. There should have been a line to think of what, you know, or at least more of a reaction other than like, you know, okay, it's just a police box. Wait a minute. Why, what am I doing here? Uh-huh. There should have been a little thing like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <clears throat> all I'm saying because she otherwise seems pretty you know she's sharp she's yep. she's in, and and it's clear that she's also got the doctor pegged we we know that already because she was trying to tell professor rubish that the doctor was a spy mm-hmm. which obviously she's figured out he works for unit and he's there to spy on the rest of them like yep. he was just added to the mix late in the game um so you know she's really smart she's already written as being very smart uh i don't blame her for I don't blame her for thinking that it's a pageant or something, mm-hmm. because why would she think it travels in time? I'm still confused about why she, why she thinks it travels in space. Like, mm-hmm. why does that make any sense? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of a mishmash of things that are, are good and things that are really not good. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some things are papered over, I think, a little too much, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's Robert Holmes' far- fault. I don't know if that is Terrence Dix's on the script editing mm-hmm. side. Yeah. I don't uh, I don't know, but uh, which is tough to do, blaming two Doctor Who legends, <laughs> as one would do there. That's but tough. I'm not having any trouble doing it. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> no, I mean, I the amount... Of, that I enjoy and love some stories makes me very willing to hand wave away a lot of things. Mm. I think that I'm just less willing to do it for this one because it's not, it's not a story of my heart at all. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I understand. Well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's only four episodes long. There's your spoiler. So, as you can tell by the screen, it's this far. It's my favorite part. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's only four of them. I know. I know. There's only four part stories. I do. I do like four part stories. You don't get as many in the uh, Pertwee era, but so when they come along, we have to we have to cherish them. It's true. Uh, I do want to say I really wish I had caught her name, uh, Edward's wife. I do like that. Like I, I seem to remember that later on, I get very annoyed by the the overly done feminism from from Sarah Jane. I'm interested to see how that strikes me at this point. Mm. But I really like the fact that Edward's wife is you know, they're they obviously don't communicate with each other super well, but they're both they're both smart in their own ways. He's trying to get pe- the other people around the uh the area to help him out mm-hmm. against Irongon. Um she has also noticed that Irongon is such a problem that you know, she's like, "Dude, you should do something." And he's like, "Oh, I'm working on it." That's why I'm saying they don't communicate very right. well. But she is the one that that says, "Hey, you know, I hear that uh, he wanders around on his battlements in the morning, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> yes." <laughs> she, so she has to sort of point it out, like maybe we should send our archer uh, mm-hmm. out that way. And he probably, like, there probably would have been no story. Hal would have taken him down. Boom, yeah. and we're done. If Sarah didn't assume that he was just, you know, I don't know, probably doing target practice or something. In a Ren fair, yeah. Yep, exactly. Although, even so, 
if you're at a Ren Fair mm-hmm. and somebody is aiming an arrow, do not go up and startle them. That is that is a bad idea no matter what. If somebody has an arrow knocked and they've got the string right. pulled back, don't bother that person. Somebody could get hurt. That's true. Mm-hmm. Not everything is make-believe. Guess what? Arrows are real. They are real. <laughs> there are real things. Yep. Absolutely. I, I want to point out how... Um, remarkable a performance it is and a remarkable by the people who make Doctor Who at that like the history of the Sontarans are is laid out in episode one of their first appearance and we're still referencing that and Dan Starkey very rigidly sort of like keeps to Kevin Lindsay's original Sontaran performance as his own Sontarans you know I mean which makes sense because as we will learn later they're a clone race um yep. and yeah and actually I do have to say that is the thing about this story that I adore I Love Sontarans. I always have. <laughs> and this is a good Sontaran story. Yep. Kevin Lindsay does such a great job. It is, it, I mean, it's, you know, a wonderful sort of send up of the, the military mind in mm-hmm. a way, uh, you know, him popping out of his... It, I also noticed this for the first time. Mm-hmm. I never noticed this before. So he, the his ship lands or crashes in the middle of the night. And I always remembered him putting up the little flag that pops up. Yep. It's just so cute. Like two cute little flags in here. I'm 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 claiming this planet and all and of its it, moons and satellites. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which is hilarious. The thing that I had forgotten or had not noticed until now is he waits until the next morning until there's an audience to do it. <laughs> he could have done that at any point, but no, he yep. needs to wait until some of the locals are here so that it's appropriately witnessed so yep. that probably he can do his space paperwork and make sure that it, that everything is uh you know legal and on on the up and up yeah you know, the Sontarans have obviously ca- captured a lot of galaxies so mm-hmm. he's 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 learned how to do it right <laughs> yeah like there's there's no point in claiming a planet if there's no one there to see you claim that planet right mm-hmm. you have been claimed how very colonial of him it's just mm-hmm. like gather the audience around they need to be told that they're being taken over yep yep, yep. and i mean i think if iron run just <clears throat> just didn't bother me on such a molecular level i do i do feel like it's a, a well written um the the echoes between those two characters of mm-hmm. of links and and iron gron you know both of them saying that they need things from the other one and both of them being annoyed that they need things from the other one and i mean they 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 are good uh parallel characters mm-hmm. that sort of mirror each other um i just think that links's um performance just strikes me really in a very positive way, I enjoy watching that. He's stiff, he's military, etc. He's not loquacious and throwing things right. and over the top. Mm-hmm. Very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Gets wants to get his gets to get his work done. Basically, yep. doesn't beat around the bush. You know mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. So that is that is the uh, the best part I think of this this whole story is the the introduction of the Santarans, which I love. Yep. Pretty great. They are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Although the oh. other the other thing, which is both writing and actually it's probably just writing, uh-huh. um, is they make a whole big to do about how he <clears throat> doesn't take his helmet off in front of people because you might not like the way that I look because yeah. I'm not one of your kind. And then for no reason whatsoever, except for the cliffhanger, yep. he wanders outside, looks around. No, nobody's here. I'm going to take my my hat off now. Mm-hmm. Here now the helmet comes off just so the doctor can see it. Which just that is, I find that kind of obviousness annoying mm-hmm. like that there, there could have been a better ways to do that i think yeah uh it's not the first or the last time that we'll get a dramatic reveal for no reason just for a cliffhanger yep. you know 
you're right. He, there is no reason for him to take it off. Yeah, I like how how the doctor sort of looks up and sort of even before he takes his helmet off, mm-hmm. he goes, mm, "Yep, of course." Mm-hmm. You know, he knows. Well, he had seen the his like whatever matter. It's not a matter projector, but sort of like this thing to see through time to yeah. see. Like he he's able to to see. Who, not necessarily who it is, but what it is, what kind of creature it is. <laughs> then that stupid squad, he just immediately shoots. Yeah, like, what yeah. the hell? That guy needs that guy needs less coffee, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's probably like um, uh, it's cheaper to pay an extra to fire a gun mm-hmm. than to give him a line. <laughs> so that's they chose that. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Good point. But yeah, so the doctor already knows it's, you know, it's Santarans. So mm. it's not, but I, but I, I like that. I, I always like it when the doctor knows a lot, you know, more than we do. Yeah. Mm. He's been around time and space a lot. So, uh, you know, the fact that I don't like it when he's a complete know it all, yeah, uh, no. which has sometimes been the case. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's good that he knows a little bit of something that we don't hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it makes it more fun for to to be able to you know fill in some of the it's actually i think the most fun when the doctor knows to some extent what he's dealing with mm-hmm. but there's a whole layer that he was not aware of yeah um and i don't actually remember enough about this story to know if this is one of those cases but that is my favorite my favorite sort of you know doctor bumbles in recognizes this much and then whoa there's another whole corner of things over here yeah and it's an easy it's a great way to sort of have like oh i know a little bit about you alien from the stars so therefore like oh this is not a, a your standard sort of savage now i have to sort of like deal with this person and that sort of like sets up a, a direct conflict between the doctor and the santaran potentially because the santaran will probably notice that wait a second you're not like these people we're going to have to have words and see what you know yep. maybe that'll happen in part 2 of the time warrior Maybe, maybe it will. I don't remember what happens in part two of the Time Warriors, <laughs> so I'll have to find out together. Yay. Yeah. On where? On Lazy Doctor Who. On the Incomparable Network. Goodbye. Goodbye.